Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, tennis fans, and welcome to episode 29 of The Passing Shot. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello guys, welcome to The Passing Shot. It's the Miami catch-up. It's the second part of the Sunshine Double. We've had Indian Wells, it's now the Miami Open. I'm one of your hosts, the Wandering Wildcard, Joel. And as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, the self-proclaimed Queen of Clay, uh, Kim McKenzie. How are you doing, Kim? Hi, um, welcome um, everyone to the Miami Catch-Up. Um, it's been a great last two weeks and I, I feel like it's been ages since we last um, recorded. Uh, Indian Wells has uh, been and gone. Miami's now finished and it's April Fool's Day, Joel, which um, I don't know. I feel like <laughs> has there been any any tennis April Fool's? Well, I've been on Twitter, obviously, trying to trawl the best April Fool's Twitter, tennis Twitter jokes. I think the best one I saw was from the US Open. Obviously, April Fool's, Wimbledon aren't going to get involved in such lowbrow, comedic things. But the US Open went all in and they announced today, very serious announcement, that dogs were going to be um, ball boys for the US Open this year. And they were actually calling for any applications, all breeds welcome. And uh, yeah, at Twitter, uh, tennis Twitter particularly went, um, got, got, got involved. And literally I saw so many dogs being, up. I was actually surprised because I didn't see Lady Katie there, Kevin Anderson's dog, but. Uh... Or Maggie May, Andy Murray's little dog. I mean, can you imagine having like a Jack Russell delivering your balls to surf? They'd probably just go off with the balls and chew them. What breed would be the best breed, do you reckon? I mean, hypothetically. Any, right, okay, any passing shot slash dog fans, please let us know. Probably the biggest and tallest breed, like a greyhound. I mean, they're fast, so they'd be able to, like, scoot around the court, wouldn't they? That would be quite cool. Dogs playing <laughs> tennis and dogs, dogs, I don't know, line judging. <laughs> oh, gosh. I think I'd have a chihuahua. I like little Scotty dogs, but they'd probably be useless. How'd they get the ball in their mouth? They wouldn't be able to, would they? I don't know. They sort of like wag around the court. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, well, moving on. Moving on swiftly on. I know that was... Uh, so yeah, April Fool's. April Fool's has happened, but we need to get down to serious business. We've had the Miami Open. The Miami Masters has just finished. Lots to talk about. Lots of talking points. So, yeah, the next kind of 45, 50 minutes we'll be devoting to recapping all the big talking points from Miami. And I think we're going to start in uh, the results roundup with the women, Kim, aren't we? We are. We are. I think once again, maybe the women's tournament has provided the most entertainment. And I think the winner of Miami is perhaps someone that we didn't really expect would um, be coming away with the title. So Australian fans will be very happy because Ash Barty has 
won her first Premier Mandatory tournament and she's now ninth in the world. Um, she beat Pliskova in the final 7-6-6-3 and yeah, great tournament for her, her biggest win of her career and pretty mad. She's uh, She had a great tournament and, and came through on top. She's only 22 years old and it feels like she's accomplished so much already. She's got three singles titles. She's got nine doubles titles, including the 2018 US Open. And she's actually reached the doubles finals in all four Grand Slams. So obviously she is a very good prospect in both singles and doubles. And it's great to see top 10 players playing both events. And yeah, to see her kind of capturing the Miami Open, it just shows you that the last kind of two tournaments, we've had two players who probably weren't on anyone's minds in terms of potential champions, you know, first with Andreescu and now with Barty. You know, we've got two champions that we just were not expecting. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that just shows you the depth of women's tennis, which I know we've said before on the podcast. But yeah, I mean, Barty's kind of been there and thereabouts. She won the, um, not the the WTA finals at the end at the end of last year, but the the other version, I don't know what it's called. It's completely gone from my mind. But <laughs> the version for players basically ranked, you know, nine to 16 in the world. So, you know, she's always been there and thereabouts. But yeah, when she first burst onto the scene, I always considered her, you know, doubles player. But she is now, yeah, as you said, in the top 10 for both. And I think we were trying to think of players that were in the top 10 for both singles and doubles like a few episodes ago. Is that kind of, if you're in the top 10 in both, that would kind of make you a better overall player in the grand scheme of the game than than certain other players? It's interesting because um, I saw a statistic at there's only been three other players who have reached the top 10 in the singles and doubles and been top 10 at the same time in both. And two of them, unsurprisingly, are the Williams sisters. But perhaps more surprisingly, Anna Kornikova. Uh, remember that name, Kim? I do indeed. Yeah. Blast from the part. I think I follow her on Instagram. So back in uh, 2000, yeah, she finished uh, number nine in singles and number four in doubles uh, with her longtime doubles partner, Martina Hingis. So Ash Barty adds herself to that quite small, quite actually surprisingly small list of players who've been top 10 at the same time in singles and doubles. But yeah, I I fully expect her, you know, I think she's obviously now got a taste of the big time winning a, a very high profile tournament. She'll be very hungry going into the clay court season uh, for more, for more big titles. Exactly. And, you know, now she's in the top 10. So I think she's actually the first Australian player since Sam Stozer to crack the top 10. Um, so great for Aussie tennis fans. And also Pliskova, you know, we met, mentioned that um, she was the beaten finalist. She is now going to kind of crack the top five again. Obviously, she has been uh, number one very briefly before. But she's also had a really good start to the year. You know, she won Brisbane and um, got to the semis of the AO quarters in Dubai and Indian Wells and Miami finals. So she's been one of the kind of most consistent players at the start of the year. So she'll be now four in the world. So, yeah, we'll see what she does going into the clay. Um, interestingly about uh, the doubles, though, um, you know, mentioning that kind of select group of people being so highly ranked in doubles and singles. I also thought from the we should mention the doubles champions from Miami um, because it's a very good quality doubles partnership. Elise Mertens and Arena Sabalenka, who are both, you know, top singles players, um, they actually... <laughs> became the fifth, only the fifth team in history to actually win the Sunshine Double, so both Indian Wells and Miami. And they actually only just 
started playing together um, at the Australian Open. They got to the round uh, fourth round there and then have since won the last uh, 10, tour- uh, 10 matches and two <laughs> tournaments together. So a very yeah. impressive new doubles partnership on the WTA I- Tour. I think they've. I think they've only played three events together. They have, and they've and won two of them, and they got to the fourth round of the AO. So that's just like crazy. <laughs> they obviously just gel really well together. I, I will. I wonder if. Uh, yeah, I wonder how long that partnership is going to continue because obviously these are two players that could go quite high up in the singles, and you know, I imagine when they played doubles together i don't i wonder if it was a long-term thing or if it was it more of a short-term thing but yeah it seems to be paying off and yeah sunshine double very hard thing to do in singles but also in doubles and uh yeah congrats to them i think i was just thinking the sunshine double would sound like a really good cocktail wouldn't it like something very fruity they could serve it at both tournaments which are like sipping watching the tennis um, <laughs> I'm just saving that for my uh, my tennis calf that I'm going to own and uh, run one day. Anyway, yeah, so that was the kind of the winners of Miami. Uh, let's move on to the other bits and bobs from the tournament. I think one of the biggest talking points was the drama that occurred at the end of the Andreescu-Kerber match. I'm sure you you uh, read about this on Twitter, Joel, and probably re-watched that, that clip oh, of the, the that handshake, handshake. Love that <laughs> to handshake. try and always, see what, what Kerber actually said. I always love a cold handshake. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the best things to see. It's that awkwardness. I revel in that awkwardness. Yeah. Um, so Kerber lost to Bianca Andreescu for the second time in the same week because she also lost to her in the Indian Wells final. And she kind of, yeah, really just, yeah, gave Andreescu the coldest, quickest handshake and I was caught on camera basically saying, oh, you're the biggest drama queen ever. And there's a lot of sort of fallout on Twitter afterwards, obviously. It's not exactly what you want to see from, you know, a Grand Slam champion saying something like that at the net. And I don't even know what Bianca Andreescu actually did to cause that comment because I don't think there was anything really of note to justify it she took um she didn't break any rules um i think i think yeah kerber got extremely frustrated and i think that you know her comment at the end was almost her venting that frustration andreescu did take a a medical timeout in the match but i think uh, um i think kerber was just frustrated that she was like looking at her opponent thinking you know aren't you kind of tired or injured and yet you're kind of hitting all these balls past me um I think you're kind of making a meal of it and I think that's what her approach was but yeah I think she you know kind of looking at all the the comments on on Twitter and kind of reading the reports I don't think I don't think she got a lot of sympathy and it was really interesting to see her on Twitter afterwards she actually came out and congratulated Andrescu saying Tough battle out there last night at Miami Open. Congrats to Bianca Andreescu for a great performance and a well-deserved win. Which that wasn't the end. No, that wasn't. That wasn't the end of the story, was it, Kim? (laughs) No, because our old friend Nick Kyrgios decided to have his two pence worth and went. Bruh, you said I can't do an Aussie accent here. Bruh, you said she is a drama queen, and then post this. Um, so he was just calling out the hypocrisy of Kerber, which, you know, to be fair, he has a point. He was saying, and he was we were all kind we of thinking, thinking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess Kerber's, I don't know, her, her manager or her PR team were like, mm, you need to rectify this. 
put out a really nice tweet and uh, that probably made things worse. <laughs> um, but I know <laughs> we put out on, on our Passing Shots Twitter, didn't we? Um, to all you guys who follow us, who would your real drama queen of the WTA tour or, or the ATP tour be? And we had a few responses, didn't we, Joel? What 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 were people saying? We had uh, it's interestingly Serena Williams uh, was a big uh, was considered was a popular answer in this category. We also had Caroline Wozniacki, Elise Cornet. Oh yeah, I know is uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a name I was not surprised to see uh, people tweet us, and also Coco Vandevey as well from the United States who is yeah a one a very marmite figure on the tour i think yeah i guess all of those players have been known to be a bit stroppy maybe not so much was Niaki. like i don't think i would have thought of her in that list but i think everyone on their day <laughs> can get a bit like angsty so so yeah thank you for everyone who commented and gave us their their thoughts on that one but yeah Rest, rest of Miami, there was a few bits of note. So, for example, we had some early losses for top players. Sloane Stevens, she was actually the defending champion. She went out very early on to Tatiana Maria. I feel like that's the story of her season so far. Yeah, it hasn't big been great. Name going out early in, big name going out early in the tournament to someone I'm not really that familiar with. Well, Sloane Stevens has only won one... She's only won a consecutive match once so far this year. So in the first three months, she's had a terrible run of form and she doesn't actually have a coach at the moment, I believe. So that, you know, that might just have something to do with it, but she's going back into the clay season. You know, she's, she's the defending finalist at Roland Garros. So we, you know, she has a lot of points to defend coming up. I'd be, uh, I'd be on the phone to Darren Cahill. I'd just mm. send him as much money as, as, as he wants and, and... <laughs> And get him, uh, get him to Sloane Stevens because yeah, I think Sloane Stevens is in need of a coach. Uh, she's coachless at the moment, and I think she needs someone to give her some sort of direction, some sort of plan that when she steps on court, she knows, you know, yeah, she knows how she's going to win. She knows how she's going to, you know, win consecutive matches and and put herself back into that, you know, that frame of mind, that approach she was in last season. You know, we were talking about. You know, she's going into the clay season. Last season, she got to the final of the French Open, had a fantastic final uh, against uh, Simona Hallett. So, you know, she's kind of got performances, you know, in her locker. But yeah, she needs to almost kind of redis- rediscover them and, and quickly. No, definitely. And going along uh, from that, we also had Naomi Osaka. So world number one, she um, she lost out to Su Wei Shui. So Su Wei Shui, kind of a very unorthodox player. She kind of get under the, gets under the skin of a lot of, of a lot of people, and uh, you know she had almost beaten Osaka at the Australian Open earlier in the year, but she actually managed to get the better of Osaka in the fourth round. Um, no, it wasn't the fourth round, was it? It was uh, in the third round. A bit earlier on, yeah. Exactly, um, and she she uh, came back and and managed to get past Osaka. So not a great tournament again for Osaka. I think since Sasha Bayan left, she I don't know hasn't been quite the same formidable player that we had sort of quickly grown to know her as. But you know, fortunately, she is actually still the world number one because results of other players did not go the way they needed to go for her to lose it. So. Yeah. You know. and, and also, 
And also, the she did lose an absolutely unbelievable record for when in her loss to Suwei Shui. So before that match, she had won. Osaka had won 63 straight matches after taking the first set. Incredible, incredible statistic there. Um, but yeah, Shui brought that to an end. So uh, yeah, we I think um, yeah she she's got obviously work to do. But you know, as world as world number one, yeah. Let's see let's see where she goes. Let's see how she kind of performs in in, in the clay season. But I do think. You know, her performances recently have shown that, you know, when she steps on court, I think some of the lower ranked players may not necessarily now see that aura of world number one. I think they'll kind of look at her and think, actually, I think she's I think Osaka, she's actually a bit vulnerable at the moment. Also, she has a sister who plays tennis, which I never knew about. And she was actually playing as a wild card in in the draw. Right. But I mean, she lost in the in the first round and she's ranked like, I think. 300 and something yeah she's in the 300s it was it did raise some eyebrows yeah so to speak i was like i wonder why she got a wild card you know not uh the player i don't know ranked 199 maybe because of her sister but anyway there's no nepotism (laughs) going on there we're not going to dwell on that we're not going to dwell on that uh serena williams also withdrew with a knee injury she's not going to play till rome so that was a bit of an early disappointment for the tournament as well and she actually hasn't managed to get through i think you're about to say the same thing she hasn't actually managed to get through many tournaments lately other than slams in terms of yeah, her health she's withdrawn she withdrew from indian wells i think because of a viral illness mm. and now yeah she's um and now she's withdrawn from miami with a knee injury so uh yeah hopefully you know she goes into the clay season 100 percent fit and yeah she can she can actually complete complete some complete matches because yeah she needs to get matches under the belt she's get performances under her belt in time for for roland garros exactly oh can't wait to roland garros now i mean the, the i've kind of like hard courts yeah been there done that now let's get onto the clay let's get the dirt under our feet okay so miami shall we move on to the men i think we've covered most of like the women's catch-up so i guess most notably we should start with the champion of miami uh and the magical number 101, Federer has now claimed his 101st career title. He won a very easy final against John Isner in 63 minutes to win Miami for the fourth time. Yeah, 6-1, 6-4, straight sets, very kind of simple final. I think everyone was looking at John Isner's stats going into it. I think he had played like nine tiebreak sets, had won all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the other set was like 7-5. And again, I think a lot of people were expecting a match that was a lot closer in scoreline. However, I think uh, in in interview, John Isner afterwards actually said that during the first set, I think he had a bit of a foot injury and that hampered his, his play a bit. So I think that was kind of a reason why it was quite a straight, a straightforward victory for Roger Federer. I thought it was... It was uh, it was billed as the, I'm sure Roger Federer and John Isner would like to hear this. It was billed as the oldest men's final in Miami Open's 35-year history. The combined age of both finalists was 70 years old with Isner being 33, <laughs> Federer 37. Yeah, Federer, 100, 101 titles now. Obviously, Jimmy Connors on 109. A lot of chat post, you know, post the final is 
will he get you know will he be able to get to 109 will he overtake it will he not overtake it it, it remains to be seen but you know with him kind of stepping up and playing the clay court season he's obviously giving himself you know a lot of opportunity to play tournaments and yeah potentially you know potentially win them i think also what's fascinating is that you know we talk about him being you know number i think he's number four in the world at the moment but you've got to remember he's now got no points to defend in the clay court season so if he carries this from this form from the hard courts to the clay courts there's no suggestion why not he could be <laughs> number one again. <laughs> 37 that would years be old. Who knows? crazy well and also i mean he has quarterfinal points to defend at wimbledon so it's very fe- like feasible he would get to like the final or win wimbledon so you know yeah i mean why not <laughs> why not i mean bless him i i did like that photo uh i think it was a photoshop with his um 101 dalmatians style uh, shirt. I thought it was very fetching. That, that'd be Roger. great. Uniglo, Uniglo should do that. They should do like a. Uh, they should do a Dalmatian patterned limited edition Roger Federer or one title. They could do yeah Federer branded stuff for dogs to wear or specifically <laughs> Dalmatians, and then may- maybe Dalmatians would be good for uh, the umpire for the ball kids on uh, at the US Open in a I don't know dog fantasy world. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, Federer, you know, he's he's in good form. Final of Indian Wells, winning Miami. So we will see what he actually does on the clay, as he hasn't really certainly, shown up on clay in the yeah. last few years. I think certainly the most of the of the big names, certainly the most consistent across both Indian Wells and Miami. Obviously, Dominic team who won Indian Wells last week, um, he crashed out early in Miami. Djokovic as well has not had a great... Um, has not had a great sunshine double a a few commentators actually quick to note that over the last two seasons in indian wells and miami uh the sorts of opponents sorts of caliber of opponents that Djokovic has has lost to i mean he's lost quite early on and to players taro daniel benoit pair and then this year uh in round three in indian wells with cole schreiber and bautista group uh in round four in miami you know it kind of you know maybe kind of best of five set tennis has, has caught up with him a little bit because yeah it's still kind of fascinating to me that since Wimbledon last year players to beat Novak at, at slams is zero yeah I think he obviously I think is just peaking, in the last episode. peaking for the yeah. ones that you know he's just slam focused which you know I totally don't blame him for that he's got nothing that he needs to prove particularly and interestingly yeah but Bautista Agut that's the second time this year that he's beaten Djokovic so I think that's that's great for him yeah and I think it's an interesting it's an interesting point because it's like you know could you argue Djokovic you know at one end of the spectrum is you know more perhaps more slam focused in terms of his strategy I think so yeah whereas at the other end maybe someone like Federer who's you know you know, thinking maybe about Jimmy Connors, 108, 109, whatever title record, you know, is he more all encompassing title focused? I know, think so. Terms, yes. Yeah. But also looking at other tournaments he could potentially win to get to get to that milestone. Yeah, I think Novak is all about, I just want the most slams now. Um, I mean, in terms of if record breaking is their motivation. Um, but Federer, I'm sure just wants, you know, as we said before, he's just going to, 
well, he might just end up playing every single 250 uh, for the rest of the year. And I'm sure he would get it to 109. But yeah, John Isner, I mean, as you said, he had a, had the foot injury in the final. Bit of a shame for him. But um, yeah, he was, you know, going for his second Masters title. Um, he didn't drop a set on route to the final. Had had wins over Kyle, uh, Edmund and uh, oh, Roberto Bautista Agut. So he had a really good tournament as a whole. Great for the American fans, I suppose. Bit of a shame about I don't even think, in the final. Yeah, I don't even think... I mean, I didn't even remember... I didn't even realise I actually forgot. He was defending champion. He won Miami last year. Mm, yeah. Um, and to get to the final, I think that is, a, that is a huge effort. Somewhat controversially, had Justin Gimmelstob in his box yeah. for the final, who is still kind of under... under um, is waiting, I think, a trial for battery. So I think that is a that's a bit. Uh, I mean, that's quite inter- that's quite interesting. I don't think that would sit well with with quite a few people. But um, I think, yeah, generally speaking, though, his performances on court have been you know very strong so far this year. And um, you know, I think it's great, obviously, for you know Americans to see an American get to the final. Exactly. Um, moving from America over to. Canada we had two Canadians who had a breakout kind of week so Felix Oja Aliassime and Denis Shapovalov both two extremely young young guys Felix Oja Aliassime I know we've mentioned him quite a lot on this podcast already but he is uh, actually now moved into the top 50 and he's the first player born in the 2000s to have moved into the top 50, which is pretty crazy. And they both got to the semi-finals. And <laughs> interestingly, their combined ages, 18 and 19, is Federer's age, which, you know, we were just talking about how it was the oldest final ever. But, you know, both finalists had to beat, um, you know, extremely young, young next-gen guys to get there. So it's kind of like shows the contrast between kind of the two generations on tour at the moment. But yeah, I don't know how much you saw of, of them in Miami, but it definitely shows that they're kind of on and on the up. Um, Denis Shapovalov himself is now in the top 20. Um, so Canada, Canadian tennis, what with Bianca Andreescu, I know we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it's really, you know, looking very healthy right now for the future. I think what was so... What was so great about the uh, for about Shapovalov getting to the semi-finals was that he had to beat three straight opponents from the next gen ATB finals mm. last season. So he beat uh, Rublev, Sissipas, and then Francis Tiafo, and it just kind of like got into my mind. It would be cool if, like at Masters events, if they had like a next gen specific area of the top, of the of draw, the, yeah, of the draw. But um, yeah, it kind of was like a, almost like a, it kind of worked out like a, a survival of the fittest in terms of the next gen. And yeah, Shapovalov Sh- Sh- um, came through. Now, Ogier Aliassime, who I think probably, and I think some people probably would have heard more of Shapovalov than Ogier Aliassime. But yeah, he also had a great, um, a great tournament and um, a, an amazing kind of, I think this just kind of encapsulates it for me. His first five matches um, win-loss record against top 50 players. Nadal, 2-3. Djokovic, 1-4. Federer, 1-4. Auger Aliassime, 1-5, loss 0. Mm. So he has got some big-time talent that is going to take him far up the rankings. 
you know, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how far he can go because you just look at his game, it looks it just looks very, very solid. I mean he's got a big serve, you know, he's got that he's got big serve, but he's also got that maneuverability around around court. He looks very fit, very healthy. Um yeah, I think he's gonna do very well on the tour. It's just a bit of a mouthful to say, isn't it? I feel like it would be better if it was just Felix Auger. <laughs> um, but no, he um, is definitely, yeah, he's really, he's really cool. Really exciting. Um, just a very natural, uh, interesting player to watch. So I think I'm just excited to see what he goes on to do. Um, moving on to... <laughs> Another kind of exciting player, but maybe more exciting for what he does off the court rather than on the court, is our um, our old friend Nick Kyrgios again. So he had an interesting uh, match against Dusan Lajovic in which he, he decided to hit two underarm serves, uh, which he actually won both of those points. Um, he one did with a- an ace. Yeah, one was an ace, ace yeah. (laughs) Uh, He hit a through-the-legs forehand and a passing shot combo winner. And then he argued with a bloke in the front row who got ejected and, uh, yeah, still won the match. So all in the day's work for Nick Kyrgios. Um, I I think the guy in in the front row was being a bit of a, I don't know, saying some kind of not-so-nice things, being a bit rude. I think they they had some words, words that would get the podcast labeled explicit on uh itunes so we're not gonna we're not gonna repeat them but um yeah he <laughs> but yeah he uh he beat uh laovic 6-3-6-1 and you know you look at that scoreline you think uh that's just kind of regular run-of-the-mill two-set victory but uh yeah still curious finds ways <laughs> for that to for it to be entertaining in other ways do you here's a question joel do, do you think nick Kyrgios is is a bit of a genius because uh, Judy Murray put out an interesting tweet, um, which I was engaging with, and she kind of was like, "Oh, you know, he's such a genius because he's you know hitting all these exciting shots." And I don't know if she meant like the fact that he's deciding to now employ the underarm serve as a tactic, but I don't know. I'm just like, is that genius? You know, when he isn't able to actually consistently put it together and win like big events. Um, I know geniuses like don't really they don't have to always be the best in terms of results, but. I just feel like it was a bit of a, maybe a bit of a, a stretch for her to say that. But that's just, that's just me. I just wondered what you think on that. I actually kind of, I think I actually agree with Judy because with, particularly with the underarm serve, he's just, he's just gone out there, gone out there and done it. And I think it's made players think differently about how you approach him. But I can see it definitely catching on um catching on on tour particularly going into like the clay court season when you know traditionally you're going to have players who stand so far back like Rafa you know I do think it's absolutely fair game for you know not to give a warning and just do an and do an underarm serve if your player is you know 10-15 feet behind the baseline and uh you know in that respect I do think you know, maybe genius is a bit strong, but I do think, you know, he's kind of uncovered something there that has not been thought about in that way before. Um, and, you know, I think he's, it's just kind of showing, you know, it's just showing like a, a really unorthodox way of, of, I guess, of winning, of winning <laughs> a point. I mean, it's all fair and, and legal, but yeah, um, no, that is true. Yeah. yeah. No, it's just it interesting. Kind of, it kind of reminds me of when for for any of our like cricket fans out there it reminds me of when a lot of players were doing the switch hit for the first time and 
you know there was chat around is this you know is this fair is this in the spirit of the game and i think you know there's some i think there's some quite interesting parallels there with players doing an underarm serve um you know without any um without any warning um or you know acknowledgement to the to the other player so yeah i i I totally think it's it's fine um and i'm just curious to see you know curious for me is like the pin-up of the underarm revolution (laughs) and uh, i want more people to get involved kim okay you heard it here first guys on the passing shot (laughs) moving on to the rest of the results roundup um the bryans are back um in the double so they they have won their second title since Bob came back from a hit replacement and they beat actually a really interesting partnership of Wesley Koolhoff, Dutch player, and Sitsipas. Um, so yeah, Brian's uh, defended their their Miami title, got their 39th title uh, on the, well, no, their 39th Masters title. Um, and their, one get this, 118th tour level doubles title. So forget Average. Federer. Yeah, 101. <laughs> who cares? Uh, the Bryans got 118. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, Federer should actually aim for their record. Um, so, yeah, that, that was really nice to see Bob getting, um, you know, more success since he came back um, from his hip hop. And um, interestingly, um, Roger Federer, we found this stat. Uh, Roger Federer, you know, first played Miami in 1999, as you do. There is only one player from that single straw that is still active. And who would that be, Joel? Yeah, I know, in the singles. So that was obviously right at the start of Bob's career. And then he moved over to doubles, I suppose. But yeah, uh, so there's longevity in in all of us to come, hopefully, just like Federer and Bob. And also, I think, like, every... Every match Bob Bride wins, it, as a Murray fan, it I know. just gives you that, just gives you that little bit more hope. I mean, it's a hope that kills you, but at the moment, uh, every match he wins, I'm, I get a little bit more kind of realistic about the fact that Murray could actually come back and, and do this. Obviously, that remains to be seen, but you know, the more that Bob Bryan keeps playing, the more that Bob Bryan keeps winning, I think it's good for... You know, I think it, it's good for, for Andy Murray. Definitely. Uh, moving on to Brits on tour. Um, so obviously no Andy involved at the moment. Uh, Kyle Edmund was our leading Brit uh, in Miami with a, a round four. Well, he lost to, to Isno in round four. However, to get there, he had a very decent win over an informed Milos Raonic. So pretty decent there. He got to the semi-finals of Indian Wells, didn't he? He did. He was your dark horse for that yeah. one. So yeah, very, very uh, pleasing win for Kyle. And you know, round four of a Masters, not too shabby. Other Brits not didn't have quite a, as good a as good a fortnight. Cam Norrie lost round one to Jordan Thompson in three sets. Uh, Dan Evans lost to Shapovalov uh, in the second round, actually as a lucky loser. Um, he actually beat your favourite, Jaziri, uh, in the first round. And as for our ladies, Joe Conta, she lost in the second round to Quang Wang. She had a bit of a thrashing. She lost 10 games in a row. Uh, and some context here, Conta had actually won Miami two years ago. So a uh, bit of a change uh, <laughs> in this tournament. Uh, Heather Watson, she didn't even make it past qualies. And then our doubles guys, you know, usually they perform pretty well and we're, we're kind of having more more success on the doubles tour. But actually, Joe Salisbury, Jamie Murray and Dominic Glott 
they all fail to make it beyond the second round. So not so great for British success in Miami. Interestingly as well, the LTA have had a little bit of a rebrand and they've launched a new kind of tennis for everyone uh, like theme. Their new hashtag is hashtag tennis for Britain. What do you make of all of that, Joel? Any thoughts? Well, the, the the thing that uh, stood out for me to begin with was the new was the new logo for for any of our like international listeners the LTA are the people who run tennis in the UK known as the Lawn Tennis Association now i think you know a year I, I, you'd asked me that a year ago or so they they would actually call british tennis and there was a feeling that LTA was a bit old school bit old money in terms of having something that referenced lawn you know lawn in their title um so i was a bit kind of surprised they went back to using that that term i get the kind of tennis for everyone that like all inclusiveness of it the logo is interesting in that uh, i know a lot of people have been criticizing the a because it's a, a downward downward <laughs> slant so uh, uh, in terms of yeah it doesn't look it looks like it has like negative associations uh yeah I know that, like, I know it remains to be seen how, you know, how, you know, what this means kind of for, you know, British tennis is it just kind of like an appearance thing or is there, is there more to it? We've kind of been given, interestingly, we've been kind of shown this new portfolio and manifesto for Lawn Tennis Association, Tennis for Everyone. But to the annoyance of some people, like, judy murray jamie murray it didn't actually feature andy um or or even jamie did it kim no which is a bit of a oversight considering they've been two of the most significant players of late but maybe they feel that the murrays are not the future of british tennis or of the lta so it's kind of like part of their i don't know future mindset and they just want to make it more open and not kind of relying on the murrays uh specifically andy mm. to kind of get the the word out there but we will see whether this is actually of any kind of significance in terms of results or strategy and funding and everything or if it is just more of like a aesthetic <laughs> appearance thing as you said so we'll be keeping you up to date with any kind of further changes on that one i think we should go on to scoreboard stories joel what do you have for me course, this week? Jim, Don't give course. me any April Fool's ones. I want legit scoreboard <laughs> stories, please. Okay, uh, John Isner won a set without going to a tiebreak. Okay. <laughs> what? Uh, never, never, uh, never. Actually, obviously, apart from a seven-five set. <laughs> yeah, actually, to be fair, yeah, you're correct. No, of course, of course not. So, scoreboard stories this week. I've got a few. I've got a few statistics for you, and of course, with with all of these, we'll um, endeavour to put them up on our social channels if you go onto our instagram feed at passing shot pod you'll get to see all these kind of scoreboards in all their in all their glory um the first one obviously you talk about john isner's big server another big server who's just come onto the scene riley opelka um in miami he uh, in the second round was up against diego schwartzman which is already hilarious because i think that's like one of the biggest height differences yeah poss possible but Opelka won the first set 6-4, having, you know, this is a guy who obviously is quite, um, you know, puts uh, his first serve is a, is a big weapon for him. 
He served 39% first serves in and managed to win the set 6-4. So You think um, that is like the greatest gift to the, the returner, you know, a big server only getting 39% of serves in. But still, he wins the set, so... Yeah. I, get, I, I mean, to uh... me, I guess that... I guess that shows Opelka, you know, he does have, you know, more in other his weapons. Just big, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just a big well, serve. But, uh, <laughs> he might not be so, like, one dimensional as, like, I don't know, Karlovich or, or other big servers. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think we maybe maybe we are a bit unfair to big servers on this podcast. <laughs> maybe they're not so one dimensional. But the but the stat I really wanted to bring out was more of a, and it was actually not a, a match statistic of such, it was more to do with the matchup itself. And it was in the women's draw. It was in the fourth round. And it was Kiang Wang versus Yafan Wang. We had a same surname matchup. Um, these two players are both Chinese. Both have the same surname, not related. And it just got me thinking, what are the other same name matchups we've had uh, in the past? Um, and I did a little big did a little bit of digging to think about players who've played each other in the past, maybe that's sister versus sister or, or no relation. Obviously, Kim, we've had a Venus Williams versus Serena Williams. In the men's side, Leonardo Mayer, Florian oh, yes. Mayer. And they're not related. One's Argentinian <laughs> and one's German. Uh, I suppose we would also have Zverev brothers now. Mm-hmm. We'd have Alex Zverev and Misha Zverev. On the women's side, in terms of sisters, Agnieszka Radvanska, I know she's just retired uh, and we'll be bringing her up in, in the world card. Uh, but uh, Radvanska also has a sister, Ursula. Ursula, uh, yeah, that is, is correct. Ursula? Yeah, oh, you, can, you saved me there, Kim. And um, <laughs> I don't know what her ranking is at the moment, but I um, haven't really seen much of her lately. Also, the Pliskovas, I guess, Katerina and Christina. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, what other what other ones would there be? So, apparently, I, apparently, I, I mean, I'm not up on, I'm not up on women's tennis from about three, four years ago, I think. Bon, the Bondarenko sisters. Yes, Alona and Katerina. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Oh, and... uh, the Asakas, we've just said. You oh, know, Naomi Asaka has a younger sister that plays tennis. Well, <laughs> oh, the know, Murrays, it... obviously, the Murrays and the Bryans. Yeah. It's actually quite but a have lot. They played, have they played each other in the singles? That's the, oh, I see. No, I see what question. you mean. Mm. You know, I think, you know, if, if Osaka's sister is going to get more random wild cards into some she might. Events, then then maybe she might that play could Naomi. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think the final one to end on is the... I know there's a, there was Mag, Magdalene Maleva Maleva. Oh right, and she had two sisters. Oh, uh, that's before my tennis. time. <laughs> they all played tennis at the same time, so uh, I'm gonna assume, probably wrongly, but hopefully rightly, that um, they they all played each other at, at some point. So yeah, isn't Jack Sock's brother also a player, or something? Oh. I don't know. Oh, oh, Ryan Harrison, Christian. Oh Harrison. yeah, Ryan and Christian Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually probably more than you think, you know, but I guess a lot of the other siblings don't. I mean, Novak Djokovic's brothers play tennis or have played. Uh, Marco and George, Georgie, uh, I know they were playing in, in a tournament at some point somewhere. They got wild cards. Um, 
So yeah, it, it runs deeper than we think. Um, let's move on to the wild card. But yeah, if anyone has any other names that we can't think of for like funny, funky name, same name matchups. I mean, we've had Mertens and Burtons. That's kind of quite close. <laughs> um, but yeah, let us know if we've missed anyone off that list because we do love a good kind of play on words. The wildcard day, we've got quite a lot of like random stuff to talk about that's happened in the tennis world over the last two weeks. Um, so I think we should just like crack on. Uh, so a bit of coaching changes to begin with. Simona Halep has actually got a new coach. Uh, so we had previously reported that she was working with Thierry Van Cleanput after the AO. That was kind of like a trial phase. So they didn't last very long. But she's now uh, hired a Romanian coach under the name of Daniel Dobre. Um, apparently he's worked with her in the past. So their, you know, new partnership, we'll see what she does with him. Uh, otherwise, uh, in the coaching world, Sasha Bayan, formerly coach of Naomi Osaka, there's rumours that he may be going to coach Kiki Mladenovic, but he was kind of seen working with her in Miami, but nothing's been like officially announced. So that would be quite an intriguing partnership. Yeah, uh, yeah that remains to be seen let's wait let's uh, wait see if that becomes official but yeah there were certainly rumors and mutterings that that might be um something a coaching partnership to look out for in the future so apart from coaching changes let's uh, go for um slightly less i don't know less mainstream news we uh i think there's been a bit of a weird craze catching on with with tennis players and their hair <laughs> so uh, Hyung Chung, oh gosh, that this should have been a name for our player pronunciations episode. Hyung Chung, sorry, Korean fans, and Tanasi Kokonakis have bleached their hair a la Benoit Pair of 2018. Pretty shocking uh, hair change, I suppose, for anyone. Um, yeah, <laughs> Andy both Murray, both terrible. Both terrible. I'm just laughing as I read this. Andy Murray thinks Kokonakis looks like his mum. <laughs> Does he mean he looks like Judy Murray? Yeah. Not Kokonakis' mum, okay. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, it looks like, yeah. looks, like, looks like Judy Murray, yeah. Oh, that's so, brilliant. So, uh, yeah, if, oh, you, if any of our listeners want to have a look, just just search Kokonakis uh, bleached. And, yeah, decide for yourself if, if it looks like if, Judy if it or not. Like Judy we might actually put that on our Instagram. and We and should, you can, yeah. You can decide, decide, decide for yourself. We should. Um, Caroline Wozniacki and Agnieszka Radvanska have released a song on Spotify uh, called We Love Our Tennis. Um, oh, my. <laughs> I haven't listened to this yet. Can you verify if it's any good or not? Or... <laughs> Don't worry, Kim. I've I listened mean... to it about 100 times already. Oh, right. <laughs> it's like your most favorite song. On repeat. On oh. repeat. You said it I've felt seen. very Eurovision-y, which, I mean, I love Eurovision, so I, I definitely it's, need to listen yeah. to this. It's quite... It's very poppy. Obviously, Radvanska is is making the most of retirement. I think she's got an exhibition coming up, so I wonder if she's going to try and you know have it as a um, have it as her like farewell song or her. Well, her she is doing. To on, on to. Yeah, she's doing uh, Strictly Come Dancing in Poland or Dancing with the Stars. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. She um, she's doing. She's she's got her dancing shoes on, so she's obviously finding lots of things to occupy herself with um yeah. well i suggest that she finds other things to occupy herself other than singing <laughs> this is a terrible record um, oh. and i 
and i and you know if if any of our listeners want to go want to have a listen you if you go on spotify type in we love our tennis uh you'll and you'll be you'll be able to listen to the full three and a half minutes of it do you so. not think we should maybe get get their permission to have this as our theme song to introduce the podcast <laughs> or that might turn our listeners off sorry guys <laughs> we won't do that to you um more serious news the knife attacker of petra kvitova um she you know she sadly had that attack was it two three years ago now um it was announced that he has got eight years in prison so i was surprised that the, that's only just happened like why was mm. that not done sooner it's been a long time since the attack but you know he has been sentenced um, at last. So also, um, the Hopman Cup will no longer take place in Australia. It's it's been announced that it will carry on somewhere else, but it's definitely going to be leaving Perth, uh, leaving Australia. Um, it's not going to take place in early January because that would coincide with the new ATP Cup. But um, several citri- several cities around the world have shown some interest. So it's going to be announced, you know, forth with where it's going to go next. I don't know. I mean, it would be great if it could move somewhere close to London. <laughs> um, you know, I'd love to see a mixed event in London. Um, but yeah, I mean, where do you think? Where where would we like to see? It depends oh. really on the time of year, doesn't it? I, yeah, I think I think that would be the big sticking point because you know, in my head, what I would you know I could see happening is maybe if. The, if they if the ATP feel that the World Tour Finals has to move from the O2 Arena, you know maybe does that open up a slot for the Hotman Cup? Maybe, but you know oh, January was such a December. That was such a good kind of time of the year. You know when everyone's fit and you know ready to go, but you know wanted to kind of ease themselves in and not with a you know straight into tournaments with us. You know sort of fun round robin format. It'll be yeah, I think the question here is as much as where is it going to go, also when is it going to go? Because you're going to have so many, you're going to have so many of these team events, you know, in the future. You know, you've got the ATP, the ATP Cup, you've got the Cosmos Cup. I'm sorry, the Dave, the Davis Cup. <laughs> you've got, yeah. you've got the Lever Cup, Fed Cup. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see where they think um they could fit it in and yeah what what kind of audience it would appeal to i certainly would hope maybe think it would come to europe but you know it could go it could go anywhere around the world who i don't know who's who's showing interest yeah we will see but i mean i would love to um i mean it does really work you know the start of the year as you said so i it will it will be interesting to see what sponsors come on board and you know who shows interest who who essentially will pays the most money probably uh, it will come down to um but yeah, um, one other thing I wanted to mention was I saw Novak using a reusable water bottle in Miami. Uh, someone put a picture on Twitter and, you know, I just thought that was really, really amazing, actually, because I remember we had uh, Lee, who runs Tennis on Telly, um, in our interview episode with him. If you haven't listened to it, you can catch it. It's a few episodes back. Um and he was saying about the environmentalism, you know, of of the tennis circuit and how, you know, a lot needs to be done to kind of make it more environmentally friendly. And that's like really an avenue that the tours need to think more of. And I just thought, actually, when you think about the number of water bottles that are used, you know, every single day in all of these tournaments around the world and, you know, the single use plastics are just thrown away. I mean, hopefully they're recycled at the very least. 
but the least that maybe a player could do would be to you know carry a reusable water bottle with them so i'm hoping that novak's kind of going to be a bit of a of a trailblazer i know personally that he's quite into his i don't know his uh his nature and his you know he's vegan and he's i think out of all the players he's probably the one that kind of would advocate for increased environmentally friendly tennis tournaments so i just thought that was like an interesting thing to touch on from that perspective and i think that would be quite a simple change for the tournaments to make is to kind of eliminate plastics yeah so certainly it's 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 almost that and then you know the the plastic bags or the tennis rackets come in that you see yeah exactly take from the court you know i think they're they're two certainly for me very kind of quick wins that they could yeah they could exactly. implement you know in between tour se- tour seasons so uh yeah exactly um did you have anything else joel for for the wild card um well i think there was one more debate that we could we could bring up and i think it might be a good debate to end on and it comes from marty fish's twitter account and he puts it out to his fans um if you had to pick one male tennis player today to play one set with your life on the line who would you choose now marty fish picked john isner uh and, and he stresses remember just one set so he thinks John Isner's the most dependable person. You know, he, you could put your life on John Isner. <laughs> At least take it to a tie break. At least take it to a tie break. Yeah. Oh, this is a tricky one, isn't it? Because, I mean, if you just said it, or if it, if every player was on their best form, you know, you'd probably have to say, like, Djokovic <laughs> or maybe on Clay Rafa, you know, uh, but if you just meant like generally, if you didn't know what form a player was going to be in, yeah, Isner has a lot of, you know, I can understand totally why he's picked Isner. I was going to say mm. Kevin Anderson, but then he got for the first time in, yeah. in his career by Federer. In Not very reliable Kevin then, getting bageled. <laughs> yeah, I think Federer just wanted revenge for Wimbledon last year. I think I'm going to have to say Rafa because... I just feel he puts his heart into the game. And, you know, if no, but if someone was saying to him, right, you need to win this one set to save, you know, Kim's life, I'm sure he would do his utmost and really, truly fight to save a life. So I think Rafa for me, just from a purely like mental perspective. Well, in that case, I'm think I'm going to have to go. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with Riley Opelka because oh, if gosh. he can win... If he can win a set of tennis with thirty nine percent first serves in, imagine what he's can, what. Imagine how consistent he's going to be when he can get like seventy, eighty percent first yeah. serves in. No, okay, so, uh, fair play. Well, how about uh, everyone listening? If you could just send us a tweet with your your top, uh, well, who who you would want um, if your life was on the line? Who would you want? Uh, you know, playing for you for that one set. Uh, men's and women's i think women's i would have to probably go with serena uh, again purely for the like fighting perspective and the mentality side of things one set showdown um but yeah let us know your thoughts and you know uh remember also to uh keep in touch with us on all good uh podcasting platforms you can catch all of our episodes just click subscribe give us a like and uh, do share with any other tennis fans that you feel um you know wants to keep on top of the game or the catch-up or the news 
all the results, uh, all the school board stories that Joel brings us every week. And um, you can keep up to date as well with us on Twitter, uh, Instagram and Facebook. We are at Passing Shot Pod on all of those sites as well. So, Joel, any any last thoughts before we sign off for another episode? I I was just thinking, you know, a tennis player playing uh, for your life, it just reminds me that Game of Thrones is coming up and it's almost like the it's a trial by combat, but it's it's trial by tennis. For any Game of, Thro- Game of Thrones fans, you're instantly going to get that reference. For anyone who doesn't watch Game of Thrones, and I think, Kim, you're probably one of them. That just went yeah, over my no head. So, yeah, I don't know what, what was going on there. Uh, but, yeah, Game of Thrones or otherwise, um, we will be back in, I guess, probably around two weeks with all the latest updates from the tennis circuits. So, until then... the clay season. Yeah, we'll be moving season. over to the red stuff. Woohoo! Um, actually, uh, and the I green mean, stuff. And the, the green, green stuff. stuff. I was in, just thinking it's green in America, so, you know, they have to be... <laughs> They have to be different. Green, red, blue. You know, we had blue clay. <laughs> Let's just have clay of all different colours. Anyway, thanks for listening and see you next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.